Lord Jesus, would you come and have your way in us? Lord, we just sang a song of invitation, inviting your Holy Spirit to come and work among us. Come have your way, Father, I pray. As we look uh, at the Christmas story this morning, may it be something old made new to us. Lord, would you illuminate your word? Would you help us to see ourselves in it and to become the people that you're calling us to be, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to, first of all, tell on myself, uh, the message that I'm sharing this morning is borrowed heavily um, from a very good friend of mine, also known as Stolen. Um, this, the message we're going to talk about this morning, it comes from a message that Kim and I heard probably 20 years ago uh, when we, did she run out of here? I don't even know if we were married yet. We were just married. Okay, so we were just married. So like 20 years ago, um, our pastor stood up and spoke on Christmas and kind of a, a way to view Christmas. And I'll tell you, it completely went over my head. I was like, look, we don't even have kids yet. Like, what am I even doing here? Kim, on the other hand, took copious notes and was actually find notes from a sermon 20 years ago. If you want to see leather stretched to its breaking point, ask him to see her college Bible. There are so many pamphlets and notes and all kinds of stuff in there. It's incredible. But she was able to find the notes from there. Uh, and as we went back and looked through uh, the notes that she took and the message that my friend spoke to us, I didn't realize at the time but how much that message affected us. Um, it, we're going to talk about just how to view the Christmas season and some pitfalls and some ways to, to kind of go make it through well. I didn't realize where a lot of the thoughts and everything came from, but a lot of them stemmed back from conversations around this message. Uh, it was something where we were newly wed, we were young and stupid and thought we could do everything well, and so we didn't think these principles really applied to us. And then we had kids. And we realized like, oh, we should have been paying way more attention. And it took us a long time to kind of catch up. Uh, and so this morning, as we go through some of these principles uh, that really apply heavily in the Christmas season, honestly, they apply all year long, but especially in the Christmas season, I'm just going to ask you to pay attention. I know you guys always pay attention. You're a wonderful audience. No one has ever fallen asleep during a message. But really be asking yourself like, what could this look like even this year? Don't put this off, okay? And as we take some time to share and learn from each other, I'm going to ask you to kind of be bold. If, if there's something, when I ask some of these questions, that, that you think, like, man, we, we have a pretty good answer for that, share. I want this to be a place where we can kind of learn from one another. And so as we talk about some best practices even, like this is an invitation for all of us. There's like the half dozen that kind of always share, but this is an invitation for everyone. Uh, if when we, when we get to that point... You feel like the Lord might be convicting you, lightly guilting you, encouraging you, whatever it looks like, uh, please feel free to share. So what I'm titling this message this morning is A Tale of Two Christmases. Have you ever seen the word Christmases? It's an actual word, but it, it looks wrong, right? I typed it like eight different times. I had to Google it and I was like, no, it's a real word. Okay. So A Tale of Two Christmases coming from uh, Luke chapter 2 we find two very different Christmas experiences in Luke chapter 2. Uh, so let me read this passage. We're actually going to look at this passage a number of times throughout this month, uh, but let's take a look at it here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So let me, let me set the scene here a little bit. Most of the times when we read this story, who are we focusing on? Jesus, I mean, he'll be here in a verse, yeah. We're really looking at Mary and Joseph, typically, when we're looking at this part of the story. And we're going to touch on them a little bit, like I said, especially as the month goes on. But what I want to look at this morning is Bethlehem. I want to more look at, like, what were Mary and Joseph walking into? The first Christmas was chaotic. Honestly, was chaotic like most of us have never had before. How many of you have ever had a government-mandated move? Like, for this month, you now live in a different city, we decree it. And if you don't go, I mean, you have problems with the law. Has anyone? Yeah, me neither. What they were under was Roman law, and Rome said, look, everybody, stop whatever you're doing, move your family, and go back to, like, your, your family of origins birthplace kind of idea. They were kind of assigned a city and told to go there. You better believe there was chaos on the first Christmas. Whatever was important to you the rest of the year, it takes a backseat right now. None of that matters. Life gets put on pause for this season. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like Christmas for a lot of us. Nothing else matters. This is what we're about. And so this is where our finances go, our time and our resources. They had things to do and, and places to go and, and people to see. Bethlehem was like six to seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And so, but don't get fooled by that. Like we think six to seven miles outside of a big city and we start to think like suburbs, right? No, 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 no. Jerusalem had a very defined wall around it. There was no city sprawl. And so Bethlehem was this like tiny little town outside of Jerusalem, like actually to the point where people like, it was kind of that like cute little quaint place. It was like going to Amish country. Aw, that's cute. Look at what they're doing. Like they did not have infrastructure. They were not set up to have hundreds or potentially even thousands of people flooding into them. They were, their resources were stretched to the max. They didn't have the restaurants, the hotels, the this was craziness. It was chaos for the small town of Bethlehem. They didn't choose this. It wasn't like they had been preparing all year for this big tourism boom. When Rome said, we're counting you all, go back to your place, the people of Bethlehem had to be like, oh no, there are so many people coming here. What are we going to do? Were they building new buildings to try to put people places? Like what? It was chaos for them. And it was chaos for the travelers. Think about this. If someone told you, as of tomorrow, very little warning, you don't work for a month. And you have to travel. You have to pay for food. You have to pay for lodging. You have all of this stuff, and you're not allowed to work. They couldn't just take their jobs with them most of the time. They had to stop everything. Like, think of the amount of debt and cost involved in the first Christmas. This was a chaotic time for them. People were overcommitted. Think about the family gatherings that they had. Every living relative possibly attached to you is coming in for Christmas. Oh, and Joseph, 
bring your pregnant, unmarried fiance with you to the, like, oh, there's some questions here. Oh, oh, and, and, and by the way, for Joseph and Mary, it was a 90-mile trip. I am super grateful that Heidi McFadden is not here because we're going to talk about being nine-plus months pregnant. Now imagine a four-day donkey ride, nine-and-a-half months pregnant. Sit on this donkey at a walking pace. It would take eight hours a day, four days to make 90 miles. And listen, we focus on Joseph and Mary, but everyone had a story like this. They weren't all necessarily pregnant, but there was no like just convenient little trips over to Bethlehem. Like life was paused during the first Christmas. And you're going to the weirdest family gathering you've ever seen because the government wants to count you. Like this was a, a chaotic time. For Joseph and Mary, it would be like riding on a donkey from here to Morgantown And don't worry, you only have one day left. Then 20 more miles into Pennsylvania. Like that's how long they had to travel. And again, they were not the only ones. This was an incredibly chaotic time. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be staying with your in-laws. Oh, no, it just keeps getting better, doesn't it? This is a horrible trip to a place everyone loves to go. I love my in-laws. We have an incredible relationship, but some of you probably, this would be a stressful time and a stressful place to go. This was a season of busyness, of travel, of overcommitment, and of debt. Even at the very first Christmas, people were figuring out how do we make it through this season and how do we pick up the pieces once this season is over? We, we, we've lost income, we're in debt, our, our whole life has been turned upside down by this season. They were already going, how do we start to pick up the pieces again? Does this sound familiar to anyone's Christmas season so far? If not, you're doing very well. Well done. And it leads us to Luke chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So there's this big travel to get to the town of Bethlehem. And then while they were there, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. There was no room for Jesus amidst all of the chaos, amidst all of the hustle and the bustle. The birth of the Messiah, the Christ, their king, was completely missed. No pomp and circumstance. No one showed up like, listen, we have cute little nativity scenes. There's a couple of them out in the foyer out there. And it's always like, oh, a baby in a manger, in a feeding trough. Dirty, like stinky. And this is where the king of kings came in. No one noticed. Everyone was so busy. Everyone was trying to figure out what to do. There wasn't even a place for the king to be born. They had to settle for far less than what was appropriate. Now, now here's the thing. I want to be very gentle with with Mary and Joseph and the people of Bethlehem because their chaos was very much imposed. Remember, they were living in occupied territory. When Rome said, pick up and move, you picked up and move. The, The roads were actually lined with crosses with people hanging on them of what happened when you didn't listen to Rome. There was very real reminders And so it wasn't that they were just choosing all of the wrong things. This was imposed on them. But as you start to look at how their chaos mirrors our chaos, here's a a very important difference. 
our chaos is self-imposed. We read this story and some of the cast, and again, like, yeah, none of us have to ride on a donkey, but we get that, like, life is just upset. Everything changes. What was important in November isn't really important until January anymore because this is the Christmas season, and you got to go, 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 and do, 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 and spend, spend, spend. It's self-imposed. But we live in that same chaos, and we run the same risk of missing the importance Pretty much every church right now is teaching something on the reason for the season. And I love it. It rhymes. It's, it's great. But truly, like, we are in danger of missing the reason for the season. We will come out, like we've done it in many Christmases before in January, just taking deep breaths. We're so glad we made it. Did anything meaningful happen? Who cares? We made it. This is not the way that we're to remember the birth of our king. Culture has this pressure to conform more, 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 outdo last year, bigger, better. The school letters have already come out, and there's a lot going on for your kids. And here's the good news. None of them happen on the same day, so we keep you busy every day. We got a ton of different places to go, and there's always something different to happen. Oh, and your family is coming in, and don't forget that Christmas party you promised to attend, throw, whatever it looks like. Go, 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 more, more, more. This is a season of busyness, of travel, of overcommitment, and of debt. That, that is the, the norm for Americans. That is, that's what's expected. There's a, a, a newer commercial, newer to us anyway. We don't watch a, a ton of TV. Uh, but Walmart has a commercial now where they just, they finally kind of just call it what it is. They have a little kid's voice, and he goes, the most important thing about Christmas is the presence. And then it shows kids trying to like find where their parents are hiding them and do all of this different stuff. And I'm like, boy, they just, they didn't even try to hide it. They just came right out with it and said it. But no one catches it. People are just like, oh, that's right. Yeah, we got a bunch of stuff we got to get. Like, they're just calling it what it is. And how many of us fall into that same thing? We fall into those pressures of culture. And they will lead us to busyness, overcommitment, debt, exhaustion, and hoping to just survive what should be one of the greatest times of rejoicing in the church. I'm, any of you who know me know I'm about the biggest Scrooge in this church. Oh, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week, and I said, man, my problem with like the Christmas story is that Ebenezer Scrooge is a quitter. About halfway through, he gives up, and he goes, fine, I'll like Christmas. I'm like, man, stick it out. I get first half of the movie, Scrooge. I look at so much of what culture throws at us, and it's just, I'm just like, ugh, I'm kind of over it. I'm just done with it. I'm not a super sentimental guy. I'm not like, oh, but our family traditions. Some of you are, and that is beautiful, and actually we need people like you, so praise the Lord. I'm just over it. I see all of the commercialization and all of that, and I'm going, there has to be a better way. There has to be something. It's so difficult. Like, it is legitimately incredibly difficult to keep our eyes focused on Jesus in the midst of a Christmas season, which is counterintuitive because you're like, wait, his name is in the middle of it. It's Christmas, Christ, Mass. Like, but it is so incredibly difficult to keep our focus there because of the busyness, because of the chaos, because of the pressures that we feel like are imposed on us. But listen, church, we accept them. We say yes to them, and that's on us. 
Here's an important principle for life in general, but it especially applies here in Christmas. When you say yes to everything, you say no to what's most important. This is just a rule in life. If you're one of those people that just can't stand for someone to be upset, and so as soon, before you even pick up the phone, you're already saying yes, you will miss out on what's most important. That's just the nature of it. Everything can't be the most important. We have to choose what we're going to focus on. And so at Christmas time specifically, when we say yes to every invitation, every need that comes up, everything our children want, we got to say yes to, like, we will say no to the things that are most important. We will miss what's most important. This is a rule for life, but it especially plays itself out now in Christmas. But there's another way to experience Christmas. There, there, there is another option. It's not just we're doomed to this and let's just struggle on and hope for the best. The very next verse, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in, David, or excuse me, in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, snugly in cloth, excuse me, and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. Has anyone ever seen an angel show up that brought a choir with them? like glowing, shining, singing, proclaiming. I have not. This, I think that like a very important thing to, to recognize every time you're reading the scripture and an angel shows up, what's the first thing the angel says every single time? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Stop freaking out. Because like when an angel showed up, there was no like, oh, yeah, we were expecting this. It was like fear and trembling and oh my goodness, what is happening? Like, craziness was breaking out. This angel shows up, the glory of the Lord shining around them. And he tells them, go to Bethlehem, see what the Lord has done. And I, I love that it says, it says, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Like there was no like, man, if we ever make it by Bethlehem, like they were like, okay, put down everything. Who cares about sheep? They'll be fine. We gotta go see what the Lord is doing. We have to go check this out. And so they hurried off to Bethlehem. They were not caught up in the hustle and the bustle, in, in the chaos that was going on at the time. Where were the shepherds when this story takes place? On the job. They were on the job. They, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were on the job. Where did the job lead them? Oh, come on. Don't overthink it. They were in the field. Was it crazy there or was it quiet there? 
probably quiet. I mean, sheep make some noise. You know what I mean? Like there was something happening there. But were they rushing around from one place to another? Were they? No. They had something most of us lack this time of year. They had margin. They had space. They had time to sit and to think and to contemplate. And listen, I'm not trying to suggest that like the shepherds knew something big was going down. And so they like planned for this. Like, nope, not at all. I don't want to over-spiritualize this and be like, the shepherds chose so much better than everyone else. Again, they didn't choose to be out in the fields. They were on the job. That, that's what they were told to do. This isn't so much like, boy, they made so much better choices than everyone else in Bethlehem. What I simply want to point out is look at the situations of the people. Which ones missed it? Which ones got to see God move in incredible ways? Those in the midst of the chaos missed it. They completely missed it. It was happening right on the other side of that wall, and they missed it. Those who had space, those who had margin, saw God move in incredible ways. So let's, this is our chance to kind of talk among ourselves, to learn from each other. I want to get as practical as I know how to get. As we come into the Christmas season, some of you feel like it's already been going on for a month. You still have another month of it, okay? We, we still have choices to make. We still get to choose what this Christmas season is like for us and for our families. And so I want to actually talk and learn from each other. How do we create margin this Christmas season? How do we create time and space to reflect, to meditate, to remember what God has done, even to interact with him? As much as we want to say, no, we can, we can do Christmas well and run, 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 go, 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 bye, 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 we'll miss it. Just like those in Bethlehem, we will absolutely miss it. We have to create margin, time and space for God to come and speak to us. Time and space to remember what he has done for us. This is, only, this is like the only true way to celebrate Christmas. Whether you give a single gift or not, whether you decorate or not, if Christ is not remembered, you didn't celebrate Christmas. If Christ is remembered, you celebrated Christmas. The, the decorations and the gifts and the celebrations, those can be things that help you, those can be things that hinder you. But the thing that we all have to, to find space for is margin. Time to sit and to reflect, to be the shepherds in the field, not the innkeeper in Bethlehem. There's a, a quote from A.W. Tozer that says this, the discipline of silence is the price we pay to get to know God. Wow. There, there's a cost involved with getting to know God, with experiencing God's presence. And the cost is this, this idea, the discipline of silence doesn't just mean sitting still with your hands folded, not saying any words, though it can. But it's finding time and space to quiet things down, to check in with God and to see what he's doing, to remember the gift that he's given us at Christmas time, and to carve out that space to go, I just want to kind of sit and be. I just want to remember what it is you're doing as an individual, as a family. 
So, so how do we create margin this season? Like, what does that practically look like? How do you decide what to say yes to, what to say no to? Like, what does this look like for us, or what should it look like for us? So for them, it looks like just saying, hey, we're not going to travel on Christmas. We'll go and see people on Thanksgiving, and we'll try to like make the most of that holiday, but Christmas, we're kind of setting aside as a time to slow things down, okay? Now listen, this, these are not rules that then everyone has to follow or else you're sinning against God. These are just some best practices, some things to think through. Okay, what, what else? David? A really creative thing to do with kids. Bake, bake a white cake, just a flat cake with white icing on it in case you couldn't hear what David was saying. And then reads through the Christmas story and the kids come up and they place the nativity pieces on it. It's kind of that interactive piece to help the kids slow down and interact with the story. That's really good. What else? What was it? Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. So using an advent calendar and being able to each day reveal a new part of the story and kind of work through it, helping your kids to learn this is a time that we pause and we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. We, we do a very a similar thing. And this is an important piece, especially if you're getting kids involved. We also add candy. They, they pull the thing out. They move an ornament. We read a passage, and then they get candy. Uh, this is supposed to be a time of celebration. And so we want our kids to associate, like, this is fun. I enjoy this. And see, let's see what God is doing. And so bribing young kids is just teaching them to celebrate. It is completely fine in certain situations. I'll let you guys judge that. But yeah, no, we do a, a, that very similar thing. And it's cool. Our kids actually get excited. Like they'll come up to us and go, 
oh wait, whose turn is it to do Advent this time? And like, whose turn is it to pull the thing and to read the verse? And like, they get excited about it. And that's cool for us as parents. Well, another way to, to ask this same question, would be, uh, which you guys are already talking about, what are some meaningful traditions that we have? What, what are some ways that you, as an individual, as a family, find time to stop and to reflect on, on what the Lord has done? Yeah, so I, I think there's a really good principle in there is look at the fruit of that tradition, of that thing that you have to do, and going, does this bring peace? Does this bring joy? Is this something that helps us to focus on Jesus? If the answer is no, I'm going to give you this permission. Stop. Like, even to the point where, like, okay, I, I mentioned, and I'm trying to be very careful. I know we have teachers and principals here. Um, the school, again, has a ton of stuff going on and oftentimes as parents, we're like, okay, where do we have to be tonight? Like, okay. If your kids are doing the same thing, if they're like, oh my goodness, the school thing, I have to go. And they don't, and as, if everyone in your family is going, oh boy, we have to do this, say no. School will be okay. They, they'll figure it out. The, the thing will continue to go on. If you as a parent are kind of dreading it, but your kid is just jazzed about it, well, then, yeah, I'm going to suck this one up, and we're going to go there because it's helping my kid do something meaningful. But if everyone in the family is dreading it, if, if, if decorating your house is this, like, let's get up into the attic, here we go, don't do it. Or you know what? Okay, fine. We have one room that we decorate, and the rest of the house stays because come January 1st, we got to pack it all up again. If it's meaningful to you, man, go for it. If it's, if it's helpful, if it's one of those traditions that you just can't wait to do, awesome. If the end result is that was stressful, maybe question, should we be doing this? I mean, we, we made a similar thing uh, to what Tim had said of just had the difficult conversations with family of going, we're not traveling up to Ohio on Christmas. It just doesn't work for us as a family. And those were difficult conversations, but I had to look and go, does that help my family? Focus on what this is really supposed to be about, or is that just chaos and distraction? We had to say no. And here's the thing. Again, part of this margin thing is you have to say no, and when you say no, people will be disappointed, and that is okay. What else? Meaningful traditions, ways to create margin, any way you want to look at it. Um, for me, I, I'm kind of 
Scrooge. Yeah. I actually say bah humbug. Like it's in my repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably about 10 years ago, we were like, this is ridiculous. I get up in the morning, I spend all day, we spend all day cooking, and then it's just crazy. So can we just not have a big lunch at Christmas? So we made soup, or we made yeah. a chicken pot pie, and I pour the top in the oven. Right. And that has been wonderful. Right. Because it's like, I don't have to spend a lot of time yeah. doing that. Right. And you know what? Are there traditions? Are there things that we're doing that we're doing simply because that's what we've always done? And if we stopped them, like, would anyone even care? You know I mean, like, what if you asked your family, like, look, if we didn't do a ham and a, like, would you guys be very disappointed? And if somebody speaks up and goes, I would go, sweet, here's the ham recipe. Uh, be careful on the salt. Like, what if we didn't do some of those things that are just what you do, because they're in Christmas movies, guess what? Christmas movies lie all the time. How many of you like Hallmark movies? Shame on you. No, 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 no. I, I know, I know. Actually, this morning I was looking up A Tale of Two Christmases, what I named this message, actually a Hallmark movie. And so I was like trying to find some kind of graphic and all I could find was this stupid Hallmark movie. But they lie to us, they, they tell us this is what Christmas has to look like, has to feel like. No, it doesn't. Have to have a Christmas tree, and it has to be this big, and man, the presents under the tree. How come nobody's talking about presents? How come nobody's talking about spending? That's a kind of taboo thing that we don't like to touch. You can mess with ham before you mess with presents. Think about that. <laughs> Most of Kim's Christmas shopping is done by February because everything goes on sale in January. And she's like, it's still going to be good next year. Like, some of the stuff that you give us may end up under someone else's tree next year. And you know what? God bless them. Like, so how do we handle the shopping, the spending, all of that kind of stuff? Or if you were going to go somewhere different, Shanna, that's okay. Yeah.
I think it's a really cool thing. So, I mean, I'm going to reword it a little bit. Our tradition is that we're intentional with Christmas. And so having a conversation as a family and going, what would be meaningful to you? And, and pay attention. If you have those conversations, pay attention to what's not said. If people aren't mentioning all the food, uh, lunch for Christmas, maybe start to question, is that really something we need to do? Listen, if you enjoy the cooking, go for it. If it's a chore and a stressor for you and no one's going, we have to have it or it's not Christmas, then don't do it. Have some intentional conversations. That, that is an incredibly healthy step and it will lead you into what do we need to say no to so that we can really focus on these things that are actually meaningful for us. Here's what I wish I would have known. <laughs> um, so growing up in Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, my family and my grandparents were very close to us. And every year at Christmas, we would get up and go to a eulogist service, which is a Swedish service with my grandparents at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Because it completely recentered. Mm -hmm. What is this day about? Now, getting three teenagers up to go to that service was, I, I don't know how my parents handled it, how they managed it, but as I look back, it was some of the most special Christmases we've ever had. Right. Is to go spend that time with them right. at their church, which is about a whopping 30 people. Right. Would have been better at 9 a.m. though, instead of 5.30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking notes. Don't worry. I got you. No 5.30 services. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. What else? Sure. I don't know the words to most of our Christmas hymns but mean, so it's fine. Lively. Right. And, um, you know, so that kind of helps me. Yeah. Especially, I think, living in a place where it's not necessarily bright and sunny mm -hmm. on the Christmas season. What? And I struggle with that. Right. So, you know, having those sorts of, um, those sorts of memories, you know, because those, those things are not only beautiful it, musically, right. but They help you to focus back. How do we create financial margin?
we just received from my sister, and it'll be coming from my brother pretty soon, like presents for like every kid and stuff like that. And we were very clear, like we're not going to do that. Like we we put some things that we try to be really thoughtful in like what they would appreciate, but also pretty thrifty and going, hey, as a family, we just want to give you this one gift. But there's the pressure of like, but they got all of our kids something. Do we need to get each of their, like, we're not going to do that. We've talked about the same thing of, hey, let's just do like a, a name exchange. So it's kind of one gift and some of these different things. But like, there's that pressure out there that you have to get everybody something and it has to be, that's not real pressure. That, that's self-imposed. We have the ability to go, yeah, okay, so here's our tradition instead. Setting a budget, okay? Like, again, it, it sounds, duh, everyone knows that. It's hard to stick to in Christmas time. This is the money that we have to spend for this many kids, for this much family, whatever it is, and we're going to stick to it. You can even save for Christmas earlier in the year so that this money is there, but sticking to it is a discipline, and it's a difficult one. Sounds simple, but it's tough. Go ahead. Something that the whole family has to be able to use together. Right. So a change that we have made recently in our home uh, is we focus more on experiences than gifts. There will still be like some gifts under the tree, but there tends to be a lot more envelopes now that say, hey, in March, there's this thing that we want to take you to, that we want to go to with you and spend time with you. There's this thing this summer that we're hoping to do as a family, and we're giving that to you as a Christmas gift. Like, we're trying to focus more on experiences. How do we spend more meaningful quality time with our children or with friends and family that we love instead of just, here's this gift, I hope you don't forget it by the end of January. Here's this thing, put it on your calendar. We want to do this together with you. It's a shift that we've started to make. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah, if we made it, there's never a like confusion of, was this professionally done? It was not. Uh, but the gift is we took the time to think of you and to make this meaningful thing for you. That's an incredible gift. Who doesn't love it? Yeah. Right? But it's the time. I mean, yeah, people enjoy cookies and stuff, but there's also the, somebody took time and made this for me. Like, that speaks value to the people. One of the things that we do 
Um, also with our children is we kind of have this set amount that we're going to spend for them, but we also tell them we didn't spend it all on you because one of the things that we do on Christmas Day is through uh, Samaritan's Purse, we get on and we go, okay, here's this certain amount of money that we chose not to spend on you so that we as a family can give. And the Samaritan's Purse is, is a cool thing. There's many organizations that do things like this, but you can go, okay, we're going to buy a chicken for an underprivileged family and it costs $15. Or you can buy a goat for this much, or you can buy Bibles for this much or whatever. And we go shopping for these people that we'll never meet. And we make it very clear to our kids, like, this isn't over and above. We chose to withhold this so that we could be generous with it instead. And we spend about an hour on Christmas morning going, okay, so here's our budget. Okay, we can't do a chicken and a goat. Like, which one do we want to do? And we pray about it and, like... It's become a fun thing that we do, but again, we try to make it very clear. This was not just extra money that we chose to spend. We're choosing to sacrifice for ourselves so we can give to other people. And our kids don't go without. They have a great Christmas, but that has become a tradition that we all look forward to. And the discussions that happen around it of like, and we've had kids run back into their room and go, wait, I have five more dollars. Let's do the chicken and the goat. Like, and you're like, that's ridiculously cool. These kinds of traditions, because we want to remember, this is a season where we have been given the greatest gift, and we want to be generous in response to that. Okay, we, I, I got to bring it to a close now uh, for time's sake, but we've not plumbed the depths of what we could do to help make Christmas more meaningful. My hope is to start some of the conversations so that you as a family can start to go, hey, what does meaningful Christmas look like to us? What actually helps us focus on the reason for the season? And what's a distraction that we need to set down, that we need to say no to, so that we have the margin to be able to remember well what's been done for us this Christmas season. Christmas ends one of two ways. It ends like verse seven. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him snugly in a cloth, and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. Christmas is missed. It's crowded out. Or, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. You get to decide which end your Christmas has. I hope you choose verse 20. I hope you're bold enough to say no to some things to try some different things and you experience the presence of God in new and fresh ways because of it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, none of us wants to miss it. None of us wants to just get so busy that it gets crowded out. None of us want to get to January and have regret. May we make the the bold decisions now so that we can do this Christmas season well. And God, I pray, even be a light for others who feel like they're drowning in the middle of Christmas. May they see us with true peace and joy and hope. And may they be drawn in by it, God, I pray. May we be able to model this well to our children and to our families. Lord, give us grace and tact in those times that we need to say no. Help us to say no well and gently. But Lord, may we focus on the things that are most important and anything that gets in the way of that. Lord, give us the courage to let it go by the wayside. 
It seems simple, but God, to actually live it out is difficult. Strengthen us, I pray, that we may, as the shepherds, return glorifying God and praising him for all that we've seen and heard over this Christmas season. Be glorified in us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close with this song? It's, it's a newer song, and so if you don't know it, uh, just kind of wait until you catch the chorus. It's, it's not a difficult one.